Welcome to Nets Talk Now, Driving Change, a podcast brought to you by the Network of Employers for Traffic Safety. Each month, we bring you engaging conversations with global road safety leaders and innovators, so you too can work to advance road safety for everyone. Welcome back to Nets Talk Now, Driving Change. This is a Network of Employers for Traffic Safety podcast. I am Susan Gillies Hip, the Executive Director of Nets, and I am pleased to have everyone with us here again. If you listened to our last episode, I feel like a lot has happened since that last episode. Nets held our annual Strength in Numbers Fleet Safety Benchmark Conference this past month in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and it was a fantastic event to get everybody back together and network and share best practices and and see each other face-to-face to, to learn a lot of what's going on in the fleet safety world. So we had that happen. And then we also launched our annual benchmark report that we do, which is a way for our member companies to compare uh, their, their fleets with others and learn best practices about how they can improve their fleet safety. And so this podcast episode today is very timely, given that we just launched that benchmark, because we're going to be talking about fleet risk environment and why managing fleet safety is it's more important now than ever. And so with us today, we have one of our NETS member companies um, nationwide, and Greg Byrne is the senior consultant for business and auto fleet with Nationwide. So Greg, thank you for being here with us today. Good morning. Thanks so much for uh, sharing this. I, I actually asked you to be part of this after I saw something posted, I think it was on LinkedIn, that you had shared um, regarding a resource from Nationwide about fleet risk environment and managing fleet safety. And so I know you have a lot of information and resources that you can share with our listeners today. So really happy to have you here. Um, so I'm just, I'm just going to jump right in and ask you about some of the trends that you're seeing in fleet safety. I know there's a lot of trends and things going on in fleet safety that are affecting commercial auto insurance, in particular the pandemic, as we keep talking about. It's not gone and, and it's had a lot of impact, um, particularly negative impact in so many ways on driving. So especially in the U.S., around the world too, but especially here in the U.S. So Greg, what are the effects that you're seeing from the pandemic that have caused changes to commercial auto insurance? You know, it starts with the traffic fatality rate increasing a little over 20% from 2019 to 2021 in the U.S. And it's remained high. You know, this is just such a sharp contrast to decades of declining deaths. And we it should be a major concern for fleet safety professionals. And that's why we put together that fleet safety index, all the other priorities going on with organizations right now coming out of the pandemic, you know, hiring qualified drivers, keeping operations going and so forth. I think some of it maybe has been lost a little bit. So the idea was, is that we were putting together information to help our insureds understand kind of what's happening behind the scenes that they need to be aware of. You know, NHTSA indicates that the rise is due to risky driving, including speeding, distracted driving, drug and alcohol use, and not wearing seatbelts. That's what they've kind of determined is what the rise in fatalities is related to. At the same time, we're seeing accident costs rise due to social inflation and nuclear verdicts. You know, rising accident costs ultimately result in increased premiums to our customers to cover those costs. We are seeing insurers uh, doing a more thorough job now of assessing organizations they want to insure. 
organizations with high claim frequencies and inadequate fleet safety programs, you know, ultimately find it more difficult to find competitive rates for auto coverages. So as you indicated, Susan, you know, it's a good time for fleet safety managers to really strengthen their fleet safety program. That makes sense. With everything going on, you really have to nail that down and take a look at what's going on in your fleet in order to avoid some of these costs and make sure that they're implementing policies and procedures that will address a lot of these things that you mentioned. One of the one of the things you mentioned I want to touch on here is you talked about nuclear verdicts. And so for those who don't know, we, we've actually talked about this before on one of our webinars, talking about jury awards that surpass 10 million, I think is usually the definition of those nuclear verdicts. They're, they're just very large jury awards is what is happening. So I understand that in 2019, there was a 300% increase. That's huge. 300% increase in verdicts of more than $20 million when compared to the average from 2001 to 2010. And vehicle crashes, of course, make up a large number of these verdicts. And so employers can really be on the hook if one of their drivers causes a crash and then it, it goes you know, to trial and you've got all this, this jury award, it can be an astronomical amount for these employers to have to face. So what do you recommend employers do to protect themselves from these verdicts? Are you, do you have tools and resources you could recommend that they could look into to help prevent some of these? Yeah, just want to elaborate a little more on the social inflation and nuclear verdicts before I get into controls. But uh, whether it's $10 million or $20 million, it's a, a lot of money that's being paid out in these cases. And, you know, many cases for small organizations, it's a lot more than they're carrying in their insurance coverage as well. You know, we're seeing smaller verdicts that typically would settle for 500000 or a million dollars, you know, settle for $3 million or $4 million, too. And social inflation has a lot to do with this. You know, social inflation entails many things, but primarily entails the thought that $1 to $2 million is not a lot anymore. You know, you have stories of ballplayers, entertainers, CEOs of companies making tens of millions of dollars. You know, many people injured in an accident feel a couple of million dollars isn't that high anymore. So that's part of the problem as well. Also, we're seeing injured parties hiring attorneys more frequently and earlier than they have. Even in minor accidents, we're seeing people, you know, they break an arm and they're hiring an attorney when they probably could have handled it just by discussing it with the insurers and so forth. So that's part of the problem. So what organizations you know, really need to do to combat these trends is to have a very proactive fleet safety program. You know, in addition to reducing accidents so you don't have these lawsuits, uh, we need to be able to prove that we weren't negligent in running our fleet. Allegations of negligent hiring and negligent supervision are common. You know, can an organization prove that they did a good job of hiring and make good hiring decisions? Can they prove that they supervise their drivers adequately? You know, telematics is a very strong tool to use. If an organization isn't using telematics to supervise their drivers right now, you know, it could be alleged that they were negligent in supervision. So become a not only a best practice, but pretty routine to use telematics these days. Uh, the other thing companies need to do is treat every accident if it's going to be litigated. If you have a driver that backs into someone in a parking lot and everyone says they're fine and so forth, 
we still need to investigate that. You still need to turn that into your insurance company so that they can do the proper things they need to to investigate and try to settle that incident as soon as possible. In the past, we've had a lot of uh, organizations with higher deductibles or self-insured retentions, you know, trying to handle these. And it's become so complicated. And, and again, even the small ones blow up on us uh, that it's important to have an experienced claims person uh, helping you to defend you. Uh, laws on negligence and so forth are different in each state. And it's important to have a claim expert from each state or the state you're in handling it. I also strongly recommend installing dash cams. Determining what happened and who was at fault is often difficult, and dash cams provide a true picture of what happened. You know, we have cases where we have two witnesses, a married couple standing on a corner that witnessed the accident, and one says the, right, the light was green and one says it was red. You know, witnesses don't always um, know exactly what happens. You know, they look up after the light has changed and see it's red. Well, a person went through a red light. Well, no, that's really not the case. Uh, so having that dash cam available to show exactly what happened is very important. Uh, we have a lot of cases where a plaintiff's attorney will send us a lawsuit and we'll send them the dash cam video and they'll pull the suit right then just because they see that. Uh, the situation wasn't as their client indicated. You know, a lot of our customers will ask about, well, can dash cams be used against you? And certainly they can be. If you were at fault, it will show that. But in general, we want to know right away who was at fault so that we can start the settlement process as soon as possible. I think that's a great point, Greg, because a lot of our member companies have been talking about that and some of our members do have dash cams for that very reason, because to your point, you know, every witness sees it differently. And, and so then not only can you verify exactly what happened, but then from the employer perspective for your driver, if your driver's doing something that they shouldn't be, you can address that behavior and you can't address that if you're not tracking it and don't know what their behavior is. And driver behavior is, is so much a part of this. And just addressing the things that are going on in your fleet through whether it's through training or other ways, policies, et cetera. And so talking about that, I think, is really important, particularly with distracted driving being so prevalent right now. Uh, one of our opening keynote speakers at the conference was um, a gentleman named Stephen Kiefer, who has started his own foundation called the Kiefer Foundation because his son was tragically killed in a distracted driving crash. And so now the foundation is working to uh, eliminate distracted driving and putting forth ways that that can be done. And so employers need to focus on this as well. So talking about distracted driving and driver behavior, a lot of that is increasing with a lot of the, the new technology. You know, you talked about the technology and the in-vehicle monitoring systems, for example, so we've got all this new technology in the vehicles. So we're not just distracted while using cell phones, but with other things like infotainment systems, for example, I know there's a particular vehicle that you can actually play games on the screen in the, in the vehicle, um, which is intended for the passenger, of course, but the, the driver could take that and, and do that while they're driving too. So a lot of distraction going on in the vehicle. How can employers change driver behavior and attitudes around 
safety culture to ensure that they're not distracted while they're driving? Do you have any recommendations for, you know, is there training or how do you implement policies, et cetera, to address this issue and make sure that the, the driver attitude and behavior is changed to implement this, this culture of safety that is so needed within organizations? One thing that I think kind of been a disservice is that a lot of, a lot of people think it's okay to drive hands-free. Uh, because it's not against the law in state. So I think in some cases, the states have done a disservice by allowing hands-free driving. In essence, they're condoning driving while someone is cognitively distracted. Yeah, I want to just touch on that for a second, too, since you brought that up, Greg, that that's something that a lot of people don't realize. They, you know, because the states have implemented here in the U.S., I'm not as familiar with the laws globally, but in the U.S., a lot of states have that hands-free law. But it is, as you just said, it is cognitively just as distracting to have hands-free as it is to have it in your hand. And there's a lot of research around that. So I just wanted to make sure we reiterate that point that, uh, you know, using your cell phone at all in a vehicle can be a distraction, even if it's hands-free. So thank you for, for sharing that and underlining that point. Yeah, it's interesting. Our personal lines division has a cell phone app they give customers for free and they can lower their or get discounts on their insurance if they drive safely. And one of the things it monitors is cell phone use. In investigating the amount of cell phone use some people have and so forth, you know, they get feedback from customers saying, well, it's not against the law hands-free. And actually, they're finding that people, because they think it's not against the law, will talk longer on their phone uh, because they think it's safer hands-free. So that's a problem uh, that needs to be addressed by organizations that really need to have a no cell phone policy and have procedures in place. If a manager really needs to get a hold of a driver for some reason, you know, maybe they send them a text and the employee has a special ring for that text that knows it's a manager and it tells them they need to pull over as soon as possible uh, to give that manager a call or, you know, set up the call that way. Uh, we don't want them answering the text, of course, but we also want to have signals that maybe someone needs to get a hold of them right away. So they need to think through procedures like that. As an employer, we would never allow an employee to operate a punch press while texting or talking on the cell phone. So why do we allow them to drive when texting or talking on the cell phone? Also, you know, if you're a manager on a construction site, you would never call a crane operator when you see them moving a load above a construction site, right? Why do we feel it's comfortable to call a driver while they're driving. So we need to think through procedures when we need to get a hold of people, how best to communicate to them that there's a message and need to have a discussion, but first they need to pull over to a safe place to park. So it's it's about establishing a clear culture of limiting distractions while driving. You know, of course, policies are important, but we need to reinforce it with training. You know, a lot of people believe they're really good at multitasking. And several studies have been done showing that people are actually very poor at multitasking. And there was one study that showed that people that feel they're really good at it are actually the worst at it. Uh, So we need to train employees and get them to understand that multitasking one driver can be extremely dangerous. It's more than, you know, a lot of people just think, well, cell phones are a problem because I'm looking away from the forward roadway, don't see what's going on. But you have that whole cognitive distraction piece, and I think a lot of people need to be educated on that. The other thing we're seeing, positive results from organizations using cell blocking 
uh, and monitoring systems. As I indicated, our app, we use Nationwide Personal Lines for our customers, has the ability to track cell phone use so people can see how much they're using the cell phone. And that's a great management tool. You know, some will block the cell phone entirely if you want. Some will only allow special numbers to ring through. And then others will monitor how frequently and how long it's happening so that you can coach and uh, counsel the driver. Susan, you mentioned problems with the infotainment systems. You know, that's a huge issue uh, that's come about in the last 10 years. In fact, NHTSA has been doing a study of the different infotainment systems to try to come up with some standards around it. Uh, NHTSA is recommending that no one look away from the forward roadway for more than one and a half seconds. And you really can't do that these days with modern infotainment systems. You know, we used to be able to turn the dial to increase the volume. And now we need to look at the screen, try to figure out where the volume buttons are and look at the screen while we're increasing the volume and so forth. So that's another educational piece. Really, we need to look beyond just cell phone use, but all the distractions of vehicle, eating, uh, writing notes, you know, reading a map, those type of things, you know, are really problematic. Uh, we're also finding a, we're having a lot of claims where people are programming their navigation system. So that's another major distraction. People need to program it. Uh, while they're safely parked, and if they need to make some adjustments to it, again, find a safe place to park. Uh, probably the biggest thing I counsel our customers on is setting a good example. Uh, you know, when leaders uh, call one of their employees, not knowing if they're driving or not, and that driver is driving, they need to say, oh, I see you're driving. Call me back when you safely can. You know, at times I've seeing people call into conference calls, you know, on online meetings while they're driving, and a manager just needs to cut them off from the meeting as soon as possible. They need to lead by example and show that safe driving is more important than anything the organization needs to discuss in a meeting. I think that's a great point, Greg, about the leadership, because it does come from the top, and the leaders have to show why it's important and need to show that to the employees and lead by example. So I uh, appreciate you bringing that up because that is truly, that's a big part of it. You have to have the leadership in to implement this uh, culture of safety, you know, the safety culture within the organization. So you mentioned a lot of the, the different technologies and we're talking about all of the distractions and things that happen from that, but there's also a lot of technology that can really help promote safe driving. Uh, such as advanced driver assistance systems, you know, adaptive cruise control. I've got that on my car, auto emergency braking, lane keep assist. I, I think I've got all those features on my car, actually. So there are a lot of different telematics systems that can help with safe driving. So from an insurance perspective, which of these technologies would you say is most useful to help employers ensure safe driving? What are the things they should be considering in their fleet cars and their fleet vehicles uh, to help make sure that their drivers are driving safely? Yeah, so Advanced Driver Assist Systems, I'm going to use the term ADAS for short, uh, has prevented a lot of accidents. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety did a study, and this was when they were first coming out even, and found that cars equipped with forward collision warning, you know, the sounds that beep and so forth when you're following too close, and automatic emergency braking had 50% fewer rear-end collisions. I mean, think about that. 
rear-end collisions make up about a third of our severe accident types. And if you can reduce them by 50% by having a combination of forward collision warning and automatic emergency braking, I mean, that's outstanding. Cut them in half. But with ADAS, there have been some unintended consequences as well, the greatest of which is over-reliance on. You know, they're meant to be driver assist systems, not foolproof anti-collision systems. And it's important to educate your drivers on what the capabilities of their vehicles are and how they need to drive safely with them. You know, for an example, auto braking, I mentioned, you know, is going to reduce collisions by 50% when equipped with collision warning. However, that technology only works well at lower speeds, such as under 30 miles an hour. When you get over 30 miles an hour, it helps, but it doesn't work uh, like it does at lower speeds. Well, drivers need to understand that so they don't think, hey, I can follow closely or tailgate because uh, I've got this technology. No, that's not the case. Another problem we're seeing is that different vehicles uh, and even different models among same vehicle types have different capabilities. You have a pickup truck that's three years old, you get a brand new pickup truck, doesn't have the same technology as your old one has. You really need to take a look at the owner's manual and understand what's going on there. Organizations should be training their drivers uh, you know, and how to operate them. Uh, you know, some organizations have Chevys and combination of Fords and Ram pickup trucks, and each one will have different features. And if someone is driving one, gets used to it, knows what technology is on it, and then has to use the other pickup truck that might not have the same technology, you know, they might, again, become over-reliant on it, really know it not understand how it works. So very important to educate drivers on the capabilities what the technology does and what it doesn't do. Also, there needs to be clear policies prohibiting drivers from turning the ADAS systems off. You know, a lot of the systems allow you to turn it off after you start the car if you don't like it. Can you imagine how a jury would take a plaintiff attorney's statement that your driver turned the, the system off and that if your driver wouldn't have turned it off, the client their client would be alive today. Uh, so organizations should have policies indicating that they can't turn that technology off unless it's not working. And if it's not working, they need to report it right away. So we're kind of in a tough area right now where the ADAS has, has helped a lot. But as we move to full autonomous vehicles, we're getting to a stage where the systems are doing some of which they need to do, but not taking over full control of the vehicle. So we're in a confusing stage there, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. As an organization, when you're specking vehicles, that's something you really need to look into what technology you want and maybe wait on some technology that isn't where it needs to be. That's that's another good point too in terms of the emerging technology here and whether it's really helpful or a little more distracting. And you talked about making sure you educate employees on the different types of technology and how it works. And one of the resources I wanted to point out is, and you're probably very familiar with this, is my car does what org, And that's a, a resource through the National Safety Council that helps explain what some of these technologies are and how they work so that drivers can understand their vehicle and drive more safely with those technologies. So just a, a resource for everybody out there, mycardoeswhat.org. Uh, so speaking of some of these other um, 
you talked about some of the the crashes and the types of accidents that you're seeing. So you mentioned the the rear end uh, crashes specifically, and you also talked about the NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, and the things that they're seeing in trends right now, such as speeding, distracted driving, impaired driving, you know, not buckling up, all of those things, which really has caused the spike in the fatalities that we're seeing in the U.S. So can you talk a little more then about these types of accidents? What type of accidents are you seeing and the, the causal factors that you're seeing in in this? And how can organizations address these specifically from, from your perspective? I'm on a team with our claims folks that review every claim that we feel is going to be have a payout of more than $500,000. So I sit on these committees. You know, we go through probably five to 10 claims of those size a week. And, you know, after sitting through those for the last three years, if I were a fleet manager, I would really be focusing my effort on two major loss types, rear-end collisions. Rear-end collisions make up about a third of our severe accident types. And as you know, you're almost always at fault when you rear-end someone. And speed and space management are key to preventing rear-end collisions. The other accident type is failed to yield right away at intersections. That makes up probably another third of our severe claim types. Uh, And in particular, we're seeing a lot of left turn collisions. I'd say they've grown significantly over the last five years. I'm not sure why. Part of it's aggressive driving. People are turning uh, left in front of oncoming traffic. And the problem with that scenario is that you quite often result in almost near head-on collisions. So looking particularly at rear-end collisions and failed to yield the right-of-way with a focus on left turns is important from an accident-type standpoint. And then when it comes to causal factors, it's distracted driving and speeding would be two points I would focus on. You know, how do you rear-end someone in front of you if you're totally focused? So you must be distracted, either looking away from the forward roadway or cognitively distracted, thinking about something. So that distracted driving is the main causal factor as well as speeding. During the pandemic, very aggressive speeding increased significantly. Most major metropolitan areas issued more tickets for 100, going 100 miles per hour or more over the speed limit than they ever have in the past. Uh, And I think people did a lot more speeding because the roads weren't as full during the pandemic. And now they haven't adjusted to bring their speed back down. You know, they're used to going over the speed limit because no one else is around. And now roads are back up close to what they have been in the past at times. And they haven't readjusted their speed and space management to reflect that. So definitely the rear end collisions failed to yield the right of way are big ones. You know, the causal factors are speeding, distracted driving, and really it's important to to provide training on defensive driving. You know, a lot of these accident types, NHTSA mentioned, like the speeding, distracted driving, drug and alcohol impaired driving, you know, are things that a lot of other people are doing. You usually don't think of your employees as being drug or alcohol impaired while driving. You've got policies for distracted driving, but really what you need to be looking out for is the other drivers that aren't driving as safely. So that defensive driving piece, you know, is another one that's critical in the prevention of accidents. Using telematics, I mentioned before, to identify unsafe driving behavior is key. 
you know, if someone's tailgating or following too close, they're doing a lot of hard braking, which Telemax identifies. And the acceleration can show things like the left turn situation where you you have a driver waiting at a left turn and they're waiting for oncoming traffic. Finally, they get tired of it and they they hit the accelerator to try to squeeze in where they don't have enough space and get in an accident. So using telematics to identify those aggressive driving styles is is really a norm these days. I think you're so right about that too, about all of these behaviors that are occurring because of the pandemic and, and haven't stopped, like the speeding, for example. So I think it is really important that employers address a lot of these behaviors and issues through the ways that you've mentioned here. You've talked about, you know, implementing policies and using the telematics. And there are a lot of ways that employers can truly have an impact on road safety and and keeping their drivers safe and the defensive driving, for example, that you mentioned, Greg. So things like that, that employers can put in place to make sure that at least their drivers are driving safely in the, in the communities as well. And, you know, keeping everybody in the community safe. So I really appreciate your time today, Greg. I want to close up just by mentioning a couple uh, resources we've talked about. I I mentioned my car does what you've talked about, you know, some of the other resources available. Uh, You mentioned fleet safety index. So if you can just share with us finally, uh, in addition to NETS resources, which are on our website, trafficsafety.org, there are a lot of other resources available for employers to help implement some of these things you've talked about. And I know Nationwide has several as well. So just to close out here, if you can share any final thoughts on resources and, and places that employers could find some of this information that you shared with us today. Yeah, I really like the NETS question and answer section. I'm not sure what it's called. But anytime I'm looking... The forum. Yeah, the forum. Yeah, we have, a, have an online forum. Yeah, anytime I'm looking for a sample policy or people's opinions on things and how they do it um, so I can learn from other organizations, I go to the NETS forum. You know, there's an index of questions that have been asked and people's responses, and I always like getting a level set through that. Uh, The other thing is uh, the National Safety Council has a great amount of resources on safe driving. They put on a lot of training sessions throughout the month, too. So being a member of the National Safety Council is a good provider of resources. Uh, Most large insurance companies have a ton of safety policies, driver training materials as well. And more importantly, they typically have a staff of fleet consultants like myself that work with fleet safety on a daily basis that can provide some consulting. So give your insurer a call and maybe the person that comes out and visits you isn't a fleet safety person, but they have access to fleet experts um, within their organization. So that's another good resource. The other thing is, is particularly relate, related to the nuclear verdicts and social inflation, is talking to your claims person that may be assigned to your case. You know, they handle claims every day uh, specific to the states you operate in and so forth. And they can tell you about procedures you can take when an accident occurs to diminish uh, the overall cost of the claim and, and defend yourself better. Perfect. Yep. Thank you so much, Greg, for being here. Lots of great information, great resources that you shared. I really appreciate it. So again, uh, for our employers, our listeners out there, there are so many ways that you can implement all of these safe driving policies and practices to keep your employees safe. So Greg Byrne, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Now, Driving Change, a network of employers for traffic safety podcast for anyone and everyone who is dedicated to advancing road safety. Be sure to subscribe and tune in each month for new episodes.